Robbie Knox here, landlord of the Moon Underwater, and I have a very exciting announcement to share with you. Have you ever found yourself listening along to the podcast thinking, hmm, I wish I could experience this with my own eyes in the real world? Well, you're in luck, because very soon the Moon Underwater will be returning to the other realm for a special live show. As it's such a special occasion, we thought we'd invite an equally special guest along. Joining us on the night to create their dream pub is the Edinburgh Comedy Award-winning comedian Ahir Shah. It's taking place on Sunday the 7th of April at Moth Club in London. Tickets are on general sale now. Search Moon Under Pod on socials, head to our page and click the link in the bio to get your tickets. We look forward to seeing you there. Wind rips the alleys, shaping paths as a river shapes a valley. Sudden drafts down pavement and ginnel, shifting cobble and step towards one inevitable end. At the witching hour, lead on down stone tributaries to the moon underwater. Song Robin Matins, many matins to you. Happy matins. Happy matins to thee. In what pub state do I find thus? Oh, I'm very much between pubs at the moment. Uh, are you? Find me, yeah. What pubs are you between? Well, you know, the, the pub I've been in in the past and the pub I'll be in in the future, I suppose. You know. And what pub are you in now? Moon Underwater. The Moon Underwater, absolutely. What's been your publy week? It's been a good publy week. I find, um, one of my favourite things about going to a pub, which is often where you might be buying, let's say, quite expensive beers, particularly if you live in London, is having a good old chat about your finances. Oh, yes. In, in the pub. Yeah, it's quite funny to do it and sort of say, right, yeah, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to sort of tighten the old belts, let's cut down on that. Do you want another beer? Yeah, sure, that's... A, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's just something sort of... A, what's the word where you're... Um, uh, cognitive dissonance about it, you know? Yeah, you're sort of able to spend 11 quid on two drinks whilst <laughs> yeah. also going, look... We, council tax we, is coming out and we need to be careful. Cancel Netflix, cancel Now TV. We need to switch to own brand, but <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not switching to Foster's. Yeah. Do you want a cocktail? Yeah, just throw it down the sink. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your finances are all fine? Yeah, broadly. Yeah. yeah. How are you? How's your pub, Lee? time well i haven't been to a pub recently because I, I have been ill over the last sort of week or so with uh it was a food poisoning or some kind of absolutely horrific stomach ailment um but i did have a few drinks yesterday it was my fiance's dad's 70th birthday mm. and they had a big tent in the garden and a nice sort of summer fate type vibe yeah but i i offered to be in charge of ordering the beer yeah, because they're not drinkers as a family but they're very good at sort of entertaining so they'd sorted out all the wine they'd got like cases of wine they'd got a little sort of pims bar and so what capacity are we talking here well 
it was a lot of people, but it was because it was spread out over an afternoon. It was maybe, I don't know, 100 people odd. So I was in charge of ordering the beer, mm. which is quite a stressful thing because so if I was ordering beer for 100 of us, of me and you, yeah, you're talking like minimum 500 cans. 500, yeah. Minimum. But... It, it's sort of weird trying to get inside the mind of someone who might go to a 70th birthday party. Yeah. Where there's wine and pims in summer. How many of those people are going to be can hounds? Can, yeah, I mean, it's very tricky because you do not want to run out on the other hand. Yes, but you also realise that other people aren't as obsessed about running out of beer as, as I am. Yeah, so what did you say? So you were saying if it was 100 me and you's, you'd go for 500 cans. 500 cans, surely. God, that would be a depressing party, wouldn't it? 50 of me and 50 of you. <laughs> With five cans each. Yeah. Even then you're thinking there could come a time where we run out. Yeah, definitely. I think we'd have to cull a few excess Johns and Robins. <laughs> <laughs> but I said to Coco's mum, I said, well, what, what do we do? I'm just worried we might run out. And she said, well, if we run out, we run out. People can have wine. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's how normal think- people think about alcohol. Right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I went as low as I could go without getting stressed. Which was? So we'll hit first off, here's, here's how it broke down. <laughs> sure. So I got uh, 30 cans of lager. I got uh, 20 cans of Guinness. I got 30 cans of ale. And then I got um, about 30 cans of sort of small craft beer. Very nice. Oh, and 20 cans of cider. Okay. That's a good range. That's about 130 cans. Robin, lager-wise, if you were having to pick a lager for a party that was a broad range of ages and sort of drinking habits, what what lager are you going to go for? Because this did my head in. That's such a good question. Do you know what? It wouldn't be Stella. It would probably be Grolsch. It's kind of a little bit classier than your other, you know, off-license cans, for want of a better word. Okay, so lager-wise, the problem was it had to be cans because it was outdoors and we didn't want sort of broken glass because there were kids there. You can get Grosch cans. Yeah, I went Coors. Not bad, not bad, to be fair. Because it's 4%. Yes, that's that, that's a good reason to get it, I think, is because it's a bit weaker. Yeah, so... How many cans of Coors do you think were drunk during the day? So what are you saying? You got 30? I got 30 cans. Is it surprisingly few? Yeah. None. It was no cans, of course. <laughs> <laughs> On the plus side, Johnny Boy's got 30 cans of Coors to get through. <laughs> Johnny Boy's got 30 cans of Coors. So the problem was, because it was like a wine... It was just like a little, basically, two tables with a rosé on one side and pims on the other. So there wasn't really space to display the beer in perhaps the way I would have liked. What, so you just kept them in your room? <laughs> no, there was like a clear plastic um, bucket with ice in with a few of the different cans displayed, which was really nice. But I would have liked to have made maybe an announcement every half hour about the beers that were available. Uh, anyway, so 20 cans of Guinness. How many of those do you think were drunk? Um, five. Two cans of Guinness were drunk. Two cans of Guinness. Okay. Uh, 30 cans of ale. How many ales were drunk? Well, I think an older... I, I reckon maybe... Well, it doesn't seem like... Judging by the numbers so far, I'm going to guess low. So 
Under 10? Yeah, it was under 10. It was around four cans of ale were drunk. What ale did you get? What, what ale did you get then? Again, so cans was difficult. I got Tetley Smooth Flow, which is lovely. And I got Doombar. Okay. Uh, 30 craft beers. How many craft beers were drunk? I'm going to go zero for that. No, it was actually six. Ah! I had uh, I had two of those. Okay. Um <laughs> And 20 ciders, how many ciders were drunk? I think you might have had, you might have got high on your own supply here as well. Uh, not not really. Did, did okay, maybe two? Three cans of cider drunk. Three cans so of cider. So out of the 130 beers and ciders I got, um, 15 were drunk. So I've got 115 cans. <laughs> in my house. But that's brilliant. It is brilliant. But I was also like conscious of, because I really wasn't a beer drinking crowd. Yeah. And also I don't think they were really aware that beer was there. If I'd ordered like 400 cans. Yeah. My fiance's parents would have thought I was insane. But also if you'd have bought 15 for 100 people, they'd have gone, what, what, what is your problem? Exactly. The guy who was in charge of the bar. So I was sort of panicking as we were setting up and I said to him, uh, I've, here's all the beer I bought, um, but I'm going to go to the shop and I might get some more. And he said, I, I don't think you need to get any more. Mm. But I have to say, wonderful time was had by all. And in retrospect, it's sort of a 2 p.m., you know, afternoon tea and sandwiches vibe. It's not really a can vibe. No. No, and I, can's 70-year-old, you don't really see many 70-year-olds swigging a can of Grolsch, really, do you? I mean, there were younger people there as well. But as, as I said, I don't think the word had really got around yeah, that yeah, cans yeah, were available. Yeah, yeah. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, so I've got 115 cans to get through. So some of the people helping out were sort of students and like sort of doing, being sort of waiters for the day. So I, I, I said to them afterwards, take what you want, but, mm. but not the Guinness. But take what you want, but don't, <laughs> not, don't take the Guinness. Yeah. So can I come round? Could to have some? Yeah, cans? yeah, come round and we'll we'll uh, hammer through the cans. Sounds great. Hammering the cans, sparkle horse cramps. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> what has arrived through the mists of time and posts, Robin? We had a lovely mist mail in here, um, which is from Graham in Nottingham. Graham Nottingham from Nottingham. No, it's just Graham in Nottingham. This is a this is an absolutely stonker of a of a mist mail. It's great. Dear Messrs. Robbins and Allender, I hope this mist finds you well. Love that phrase. I wanted to contact you so I could give thanks for your recommendation of the Fitzgerald Bar in Newcastle. I partake in a draft fantasy football league with my friends, and every year the previous winner has to host the draft weekend, and this year saw us venturing up to Newcastle. Usually this day consists of meet in the morning, pub lunch, home to carry out the draft, restaurant for tea, dinner, pubs until closing. I live in Nottingham and had a long journey ahead of me to get to Newcastle, so naturally I turned on the Moon Underwater pod in the car and listened to the most recent episode with Lisa Holdsworth. During this episode, I heard John mention a bar in Newcastle that he adores called the Fitzgerald. Oh, talk my language, talk my language. (laughs) And I immediately thought, I wonder if we'll go there tonight. I eventually arrived in Newcastle after a two and a half hour drive. I was the last to arrive and as a group we inquired what the night's festivities would entail. My friend has only lived in Newcastle for two months, but we were absolutely flabbergasted when he responded, I don't know anywhere in Newcastle, really, so we can just wing it after we've eaten. Uh-uh. No thanks. Nightmare. Unacceptable. As a group, we like a well-thought-out night. Couldn't agree with you more. Pubs that are tailored to our tastes to suit our musical drink and seating needs. So this was a most disturbing statement for us all. 
It was at this moment I remembered the podcast and I said, I've been listening to the Moon Underwater podcast and they mentioned a bar on there called the Fitzgerald that is supposed to be very nice. With this, I was immediately hit by the pressure of being the person who was no longer just attendee, but all of a sudden organiser. And what made this worse was that I had based this recommendation on nothing but a podcast. I hadn't even looked it up in my mind's eye at this point. But the plate had been set and I had to step up. As it happens, I had absolutely nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, Graham. The first thing that hit me was how friendly the northeast bouncers at the door were as they welcomed us in. As we entered, the TARDIS bar just kept on revealing itself to us as we stepped inside. As if from nowhere, more and more seating areas became visible. The atmosphere was a symphony of groups laughing and joking, accompanied with a gentle hum of music that spanned across all ages. The available drinks were also of a perfect variety, a mixture of local and mainstream ales alongside the classic beers, so that all customers were thought of. We found a booth that we were all able to comfortably fit round by adding chairs of a leather and fabric variety. Lovely detail. We were all comfortable and settled. So settled and so content, in fact, that we ended up spending the entire night there until they closed at 12.30. What a bar. As we left, my friends all offered their congrats on the recommendation, and my Newcastle-based friend even said that he'd be going there more often in the future. I owe it all to the Moon Underwater podcast. So for this, I thank you, and will be taking up more of your pub nominations without hesitation in the future. Keep up the great work, fellas. No doubt soon your views on pubs will be as respected in the same way as Attenborough's on nature. Many thanks, <laughs> Graham. <laughs> what a, that's great. <laughs> that is really fabulous. Thank you so much, Graham. And what isn't that amazing that you've actually changed, transformed someone's night? We've transformed someone's publy realm, Robin. Yeah, superb. So nice. Incredible. I'm trying. I'm look. I'm looking up in my mind different shades of green to describe the shade of the the leather in <laughs> uh, Fitzgerald's bar, and <laughs> I'm looking on the you know those actual swatches. Yeah. Uh, the sort of like technical terms for different paints, and and I'm afraid that the the shade is light green, <laughs> <laughs> but they really are. Light green. Oh, it really is a vision in light green. It really is. That's a fantastic email. Mm. Um, and if you'd like to uh, send a, a missed mail to the Moon Underwater, you can send it to John at moonunderpod.com. You can also support us through patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod. And just come and c- come and join the vibe, really, is what I would like to say. It's It's a pub with no limits, a pub with no bounds and a pub that can fit up to six and a half billion people inside because it exists in your mind. Oh, Robin, I've got to say this. I'm stressed about the lines. Which lines? The lines in the play of, of life? No, the lines in the pub. They need cleaning. Oh, yeah, sh- sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the lines that the beer comes out of is fine, but it's all the other lines <laughs> that just sort of make up the structure of the pub. Right. They've got dirty, and it's hard to tell what's wall and what's beam and what's floor, and it's going to take hours. Yeah, yeah. Is it pleasurable work, cleaning the lines? No, no, because it's every single line. See that beam over there? Yeah. There's about 5,000 lines making up the 
cut of the grain, and they all need cleaning. Right. And they've got <laughs> lines in the bloody mirror of desire, or sorrow, or both. Yes. yes. The lines in the slats need cleaning. And there's just not enough hours in the day, mate. <laughs> yeah. What do you use to clean these lines? Oh, it's some kind of synthetic soap, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it says. That's what it says on it. Yes, and it just says syn- synthetic soap pub lines. Okay, um, in quite old Victorian writing. But the problem is, I'm worried that this week's guest is going to sort of think ill of the pub when they see these bloody dusty lines hither and thither. Well, I think they they make the pub in a way, don't they? You don't want it to be too spick and span. Do you know that's a very valid point? Yeah. And no one has yet walked in and said this pub needs to be absolutely spick and span. No one said that. So actually, maybe I'll leave the lines for another week or so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, I think this visage through the cambered glass must be this week's guest. And there's a knock on the door. Come in. It's Stuart Braithwaite. Greetings, fine fellas. Welcome. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm very well. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking forward to coming into this somewhat dusty pub. <laughs> Yeah, apologies about the dust. Uh, We had hoped to sort of clean it up, especially as I I have to say here in the Moon Underwater, we've been quite excited in the last week with you coming because there's no easy way of saying this, Stuart. You are the soundtrack to our youth and our adulthood. And hopefully your old age. And hopefully my old age and hopefully, fingers crossed, my actual death. (laughs) That could be difficult to sort out in advance. If, if Robin's there in some form on, when I'm on my deathbed, he can put on a Mogwai album and I'll be very happy. And I'll hope to go out just on one of those massive sort of crescendos. Oh, I always misuse the word crescendo, but that bit in Like Herod where it goes crazy. <laughs> scary bit. The scary bit. I think that's, that's the technical term. I was actually kind of thinking there, though, that... I mean, if we really go deep on this and like maybe you have quite a protracted illness and there's a lot of advance warning, maybe I could like serenade you on a like with one of our songs on a lute as you drift off into the next dimension. Oh, that would be so nice. Unless it was horrible and you're just like, shit, it's bad enough that I'm dying and this <laughs> guy's torturing me with, with this music. I think we need to hear the Mogwai lute album. That would be great. <laughs> oh, Sting, Sting did it. Yeah. <laughs> I see that as if there's like a, well, if Sting does it, we do it. We've never never done an album with Shaggy and Sting has. (laughs) Well, we're we're very honoured that you've given us your time to come to the moon underwater. I think it might be a stretch for us to expect you to visit me on my deathbed with a lute. But yeah, John's right. It's very, very much a big, huge band, Mogwai, when we were growing up and continue to be. Yeah, I I remember 97 buying Young Team, and the Richard D. James album. And they were like the first kind of non-indie pop albums I'd ever bought. You know, so they really changed the direction of my music tastes, both those records. So really, really important music to me. That Apex album is amazing. It's great. As is Young Team. Don't do yourself Thank down. you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can speak as a fellow Apex fan and think about how great that record is. Yeah. Probably a bit too Scottish to accept praise. (laughs) I would like to read something, if I may, uh, if you'll indulge me, that for people who haven't been blessed with having Mogwai in their lives will sort of introduce a bit of the vibe. And it's something you'll be familiar with. But I remember this is the first 
Mogwai song I heard when I was about 17. And it, it begins thus. This music can put a human being in a trance-like state and deprive it for the sneaking feeling of existing, because music is bigger than words and wider than pictures. If someone said that Mogwai are the stars, I would not object. If the stars had a sound, it would be a sound like this. The punishment for these solemn words can be hard. Can blood boil like this at the sound of a noisy tape that I've heard? I know one thing. On Saturday, the sky will crumble together with a huge bang to fit into the tape. And that's the opening monologue. It's a clip of a reading of a student review of a Mogwai gig, and that kicks off the album Young Team. And I think I bought Young Team probably at the same time as I bought Come On, Die Young. And there was a summer when the sort of scene of post-rock came into the mainstream a bit. I remember a copy of the NME with no sellout. It was Mogwai on the front cover. And then a couple of weeks later, it was Godspeed on the front cover. <laughs> yeah, that was great, the Godspeed one. It sold the fewest copies of ever any NME. <laughs> <laughs> but Young Team and Come On Die Young is the first, or well, one of those rare moments where... I've heard music and immediately thought I need to hear absolutely every single thing by this band. And most albums that I now treasure, they're kind of a slow burn, like Astral Weeks, Robin and I are big fans of that. And it took six months or a year to really sort of get into. And I, I, I've always been a huge Queen fan, but again, that was a, quite a slow progress to the obsession. <laughs> when I heard Young Team, I'd never heard anything like it. And I just wanted to sort of dive into that scene. Sorry, there's, there's no real point to this. I'm just saying <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of that teenage discovery of a form of music that completely changed my musical taste. And I'm sure Robin would be the same because we were at school together and it was actually, I remember going into the sixth form common room and Robin had a copy of Young Team and someone had a copy of a free CD from the cover of NME that had Godspeed on it. It was like this day when suddenly just... Basically the day I stopped listening to Queen and Meatloaf exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah, you kind of mix things up a little bit. But, you know, that's really cool. Like I've, I've actually been thinking about that era a lot. I'm doing something that's quite um, nostalgic just now. So I'm looking back at a lot of these things. And it was it's so nice to hear how exciting that was for you guys because for us as well i mean it wasn't long since we were teenagers i was only i was only 20 when we made mogwai young team so like we we were kids as well and it was such an exciting time and yeah it's i think i think it's for a lot of bands in the first few years of the band when everything's a first the first time you make a record the first time you go abroad to play all these things happened around that time in that year in particular, 1997. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's great to hear all these years later that, that they're big memories for other people as well as they are for us. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Robin's Robin's been a musician ever since sort of those late teen years, and he's played with bands like Jan Tearson and Gravenhurst. But my brief foray into being in a band was with Robin, and we pretty much formed it off the back of getting into Mogwai and we would baffle audiences Bristol wide with sort of sonic experiments. You have to understand John was still a huge Queen fan so we would do our instrumentals and kind of long extended pieces and then John would do this delay solo in the middle. 
<laughs> or an approximation of the kind of back and forth yodeling from the from the live at Wembley performance. I'd like to think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a it was an interesting mix that I think challenged people. <laughs> it sounds like it. it sounds awesome. To the extent which bookings were scarce because they were afraid. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes things can be too challenging. People can recoil in fear. Yeah, great thing about Mogwai as well because it was such a like um, gateway drug to all these other bands you'd discover off the back of of yourselves and getting into you know from you going into listening to Tortoise or going back to Slint and everything. And the great thing about like listening uh, at the time is it seemed to be so against like the fashion of what music was happening then, like the end of Britpop and stuff like that. And so it's like what we, what were you listening to at that time to kind of come up with that music? It's like. Um... At that very point, I think things like what was really exciting to us was music like Tortoise and La Bradford. So a lot of American kind of underground music, but also just stuff I'd always been into, like the Velvet Underground and The Cure and Jimi Hendrix experience and kind of psychedelic rock. But there was there, there was definitely a wave of pretty interest in music from America. Even like Pavement. Pavement were a really big fan, band for us. And... um yeah, like Bark Psychosis, The God Machine, yeah, like a, a lot of kind of My Bloody Valentine, loads of stuff that was just really uncool, apart from us and about five NME journalists are the people who are probably going to wangle, wangled us on the cover before probably losing their jobs for doing so. But um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, you're right, culturally there was... It was a weird time. There was that kind of 90s... Britpop, cocaine-fueled bravado that felt really weird and alien. And, um, yeah, we kind of definitely kind of, what's the word, kind of identified with, like, Sonic Youth and even going back to bands like Spaceman 3 way more than name-generic Britpop bands, you know? But in that break between Britpop and The Strokes, where sort of the enemy just went back to those kind of sort of the bands that just to give a flavor of what the sort of music they were pushing so that enemy annual probe volume two which was on the front cover that was mercury rev elliot smith arab strap the afghan wigs uh, royal trucks quasi third eye foundation boards of canada jurassic five godspeed you black emperor mdk yeah absolutely banging <laughs> Any anyone who bought the NME after sort of 2010 will not imagine a time at which that magazine would have such an interesting selection of musicians on the front cover. Yeah, it's, and it, and it's cool. Like a lot. I mean, I, I we were friends with a lot of those writers, and still am good friends, and and loads of them are still um, involved in in music journalism, which is cool because that is an industry that has being killed by the internet there's no weekly music press anymore even the the monthlies i think are less and less i mean there's no q magazine which seems insane that was the one that sold half a million copies a month but like yeah like keith cameron writes for mojo john mulvey's the editor of mojo kitty empires i think she's the guardian music editor so they're the people that were kind of pushing us and pushing a lot of that music back then and it was cool like because they they didn't have to it wasn't you know, like, I'm sure it would have been better business for the enemy to just be like, oh, Oasis still hate Blur, let's write about that. But rather they were actually pushing for 
music that they were excited by and yeah and we hated blur too so it kind of like it could uh, <laughs> it ticked all the boxes but it was it, it, it was, I'm, it was I'm actually wearing my uh blur a shite t-shirt but i do still like blur it's the duality of man. yeah i like I, I love that too I, I, love, I, I love the fact that people who like blur will wear a t-shirt being horrible about them that, that makes me feel great but um it was a fun time and you're right and a lot of that music i think um has really stood the test of time i mean i kind of think about godspeed and um boards of canada i think boards of canada are like one of the most influential electronic bands of all time now at this stage and yeah it was it was underground back then and it they were kind of taking taking a punt pushing it and it's yeah it's really cool so does it feel strange having been part of a, a scene and whether it was a scene or not doesn't really matter because that's how it feels to a, a sort of a, a listener but having been part of something so new does it feel very odd to now be approaching a 25th anniversary of of young team does how does it feel to be now part of people's nostalgia as well as people's sort of excitement about new music it feels good but i'm glad that people are also excited about new music we make i kind of i've seen a few bands kind of get to a point where people are only interested in old songs by them or them playing old records and and you know what that's still a great thing that people are like something you did so much they still want to hear it but as a musician it's nice to be in a position where People like what we do now as well. It's a little bit weird because we always thought of ourselves as upstarts and kind of like the kind of ankle-biting, annoying new band. And after a while, you're like, oh shit, we've been going for a long time now. We're not, we're not, there's no planet in which we're a new band. I, th I think that kind of it dawned. I think we played a festival, it was like end of the road. And when we were playing our set, there was loads of people watching at the side and they were all people from the other bands that had played that day and I'd, they were all a lot younger than us and I was like right oh we're we're that band now which is a nice feeling it's really really nice but it's like oh we're, we're the band <laughs> yeah. that the young bands yeah. stick about and go and watch so is it safe to say on in the sort of the history of British music Mogwai are a can band not a cocaine band what, did, what kind of band as in cans of beer as opposed to, I'm, I'm just trying to steer us towards pubs. <laughs> all right, okay, all right. I thought you meant like Can, the German well, band. I was yeah, like, oh yeah, we're bit. totally like Can. Yeah, we're totally like Can. We can't play as well, but um, a rather than cocaine. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely had more, <laughs> more, more cans. We've definitely had more cans. We're pro Can. So away from Mogwai, what was your sort of what are your early memories of pubs and what, what i'm assuming it was in glasgow yeah what was the sort of glasgow pub scene that you grew up with um i mean to be totally honest it's not even that different like I, the it was always based around music so there's like a few places that are venues but are essentially pubs like nice and sleazy the 13th note which kind of became a place called mono where i would go and see uh, go and see other bands Places like King Tut's where you go and see touring bands. So they were the kind of places we would go, especially in the 90s when we'd start, when we started out and when I was a teenager, you definitely didn't want to go in the wrong pub in Glasgow, you know? So it kind of like these kind of the music kind of pubs were kind of safe havens. Glasgow's a lot safer now. I would say it's safe. It's nothing like it used to be back then. But um, so, yeah, they were, they were definitely the music pubs. 
but they became the kind of social places too, especially nice and sleazy. Like we go and see bands there, but we go there all the time. You can go there and ignore the fact that some other bands are, or DJs are on in the basement. So yeah, th- they were definitely the places that when we were younger, we, we kind of spent most of our time. That's interesting, isn't it? Like a lot, one th- a defining feature of a lot of Glaswegian music, I suppose, is a great kind of sensitivity. And it's all almost like it's, it has been quite a rough city or like, you know, some pubs are could be quite dangerous let's say and but like a lot of the music is almost like a reaction to that you know if you think of like pastels or bell and sebastian or something it's kind of it's quite sensitive yeah. and, and yourselves as well you know yeah that, that that's true in, in your more tender moments you know <laughs> yeah that's true i mean i i, I guess um you kind of the there's only so much of kind of social realism you can that the body and the mind can take you know yeah <laughs> Even though it can be a bit of a rough place, it's also it's quite a poetic place, you know. And there is a there is a kind of yeah, yeah. history of poetry and literature and art and all, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, the music the music scene here is definitely part of that. So your dream pub that we're about to begin creating is it going to have a, a a sort of a strong musical bent? Are there going to be bands playing upstairs, downstairs, and on the ground floor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there will definitely be bands playing, but not all the time. I, I'm, I'm really, really my least favorite thing in it. Well, there's a few things I don't like in pubs, but people doing cover versions on acoustic guitars. Yes. Mic'd up. So actually quite loud. Well, you're just trying to catch up with your pal you've not seen in a while. So your your nightmare would be walking into a pub and someone is covering Eva, Eva Cassidy's cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I can think of even worse than that. What would be your worst song to hear being played on an acoustic guitar in a pub? Probably What's Going On by Four Non Blondes. <laughs> <laughs> Which has, has has been hands down my least favourite song for a long time. Really? Really don't like it. What What don't you like about it? What don't I not like about it? It's trite. It's meaningless. The vocals sound like someone torturing an animal and as a vegan that's not something i want to hear oh really everything the chorus doesn't even have words it's just her kind of wailing it's just yeah so yeah i'm not i'm not a four non-blondes fan so there's going to be no four non-blondes everyone in your pub is going to be blonde as hell how do how do you imagine it when you imagine your dream pub what are you walking into what are you seeing pretty rustic Probably, probably kind of old. Probably, pretty old. I would quite like a fire. I'm a big fan of open fires. That would be good. Uh, no TVs. Good. Unless I'm there to watch football. Even then, usually whatever team I'm supporting, something terrible happens. So I'd probably rather the <laughs> there wasn't a TV. So uh, yeah, just. Just kind of normal, probably pretty low key. So when you say rustic, you're not thinking like a city centre pub? No. I mean, some of the pubs around here, even though they're in the city, I'm not in the city centre, but I'm in the city, are pretty old and you wouldn't think you were in the city. So I quite like that. I quite like a kind of slight kind of TARDIS vibe of just kind of going in somewhere and it being all kind of cosy and dark. I went on a solo pub crawl in Glasgow when I was filming something up there and they I went up the day before I really really enjoyed it it ended with me being sick in a hotel <laughs> did you I mean the problem was I finished the pub crawl I went to the hotel <laughs> that I'd booked they'd done that thing where they sell your room if you turn up late so I got there about like at half 11 they said I'm oh, very sorry but your room's not available I was like what do you mean I've paid for the room 
So they said, we'll find you a room in another hotel. I was really annoyed, but I you know, didn't have a go at the personal reception. But I said, OK, you have to get me a room at the Hotel Divan because it was quite close by and it's a fancy hotel. And that's nice too. So they got me a room at the Hotel Divan. But, but because it was so fancy, the guy at reception says, have you stayed in a Hotel Divan before? And I said, no. So he showed me to my room and was showing me like every single item in the room. And I was like, I'm about six seconds away from throwing up. So I really need you to stop giving me a guided tour of the Nespresso machine. Uh, and luckily, he, he left just in time. But superb pubs in Glasgow. Yeah. James Acaster texted me after that to say he was worried about you. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So we're in your pub. There are fires. There are no TVs unless they're playing football in which the team you support are going to win. And there is absolutely zero non-blondes. What two drinks are you having on draft? There's an IPA called Joker that I quite like. Oh, yes. They've got, they have, oh my God. So they have that in the caves in Edinburgh, which I know is the caves because it's a venue during the festival, but I I'm not sure if it's known by the outside of that, but they've got Joker on draft there. And they also sometimes have it in the Dagda, don't they, Rob? They have it in the Blue Blazer in Edinburgh, yeah. Joker, yeah. Yeah, it's good. So that's my kind of IPA. And the other one, just for a normal beer, I'm going to go for Peroni. Quite like a pint of Peroni. That's a big call. Is it? Do you think it's controversial? Some people are quite really hate Italian beer. I think it's pretty nice. I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, you must, you know, Gareth Russell, don't you? Because as uh, tour manager. Yeah, yeah. I worked with him when I played with Jan, and he, I said I like Peroni, and he called it footballers beer. <laughs> I don't know what he meant by. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Gareth's maybe more real than me. <laughs> God knows what Gareth says about me behind my back. No choice on the moon underwater is controversial because it's your own pub. I would just say that they're quite heady drinks. So you've got 5% Joker. Peroni gives me an immediate headache right in the centre of my forehead. I don't mind a bottle of Peroni, but I, a pint I, I find too much, too much. But, you know, let's come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think what the alternative would be. So do, do, would you guys have like a kind of more like a four? I mean, tenants would be the kind of normal pub beer you would get in a draft. I'm suspicious that Peroni have actually reduced the strength in recent years because I think it used to be 5% and now it's 4.7. But Joker IPA is very tasty, but you just don't want to get too carried away with it. Who who does Joker? It's a really it's a Scottish brewery, isn't it? I think that's Williams Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, Williams Brothers. Which is a Scottish brewery. Yeah. yeah. It's really nice. Black Isle Blonde is the other one we used to have in Edinburgh. I've just had a mad flashback to sitting on my own in a pub in uh, Glasgow and seeing another one <laughs> like seeing three or four Williams Brothers pint clips and not knowing which one to choose and I've just, that's mm. it that's all I've got <laughs> yeah 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 you chose the wrong yeah. one I think I maybe I did <laughs> or you or you tried all three there's every chance that that's what happened as well so do, do you have a, a, a sort of a favorite pub in Glasgow that you go to a lot or do, do you sort of do you move around um I live in the West End. You probably know where that is because that's kind of close to where that hotel was you were saying. Um, probably the one I go to the most is the Ubiquitous Chip, which is, it's kind of, it's a, there was, um yeah, who's the, the woman who Michael Gove is about to, 
be divorced from whose name I can't remember said it in some article she called it the ubiquitous fish which caused great hilarity <laughs> but yeah they actually I go there quite a lot and they have this beer that's not pasteurized well so it's kind of cloudy uh, unfined is it I don't know if it's cloudy it's kind of a lager right. but the thing about it is because it's not pasteurized if it's a certain level of the barrel one pint of it can get you absolutely annihilated it's not a consistent yeah yeah my friend who you you guys might know john niven the writer oh yeah yeah i know of him yeah 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 Yeah. john john coined the term danger pint (laughs) (laughs) because because occasionally you'll just have one and it's fine occasionally you'll have one have a second one and you're literally crawling home (laughs) so um that's nice yeah i I kind of i I kind of avoid that i kind of i I can i like to avoid danger in a in almost all situations, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's quite a nice place to meet a friend. There's a, there's there's a, there's a million ones if I'm going to go and see bands that I'll kind of hang out. But yeah, that's the that's literally across the road from me, and I'm very lazy. So yeah, I go there reasonably often. With much excitement, I can reveal that I have been able to navigate the contours of the pub time continuum and, via a portal beneath the optics, I have managed to travel back in time to interface with my past self. (laughs) Greetings, I am Robin from the future. Come to tell you of the amazing achievements that will come your way if you continue on the path of pub going. Oh, wow. Cool. You could sound a bit more excited, but okay. You'll be thrilled to know that you currently co-host a podcast where famous guests come on to talk about their dream pubs. What's a podcast? It's like a radio show where people talk over each other on the internet. Sorry, are you still there? There might be a problem with the pub time continuum. No, no, I'm, I'm still here. So, are you, like, really rich? Well, it depends what you mean by rich. Well, I was about to apply for this really well-paid job, but if you think I should stay in the pub, then I'll get around it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's important to weigh these things up. No, no, if you think I should stay in the pub to be on a podcam, then that's what I'll do. Podcast. Whatever, man. Cheers. Cheers, I think. Mission... Mission successful. Mission achieved. Really good. Yeah. Happy with that. I'm so pleased to see a familiar IPA in your pub. Joker will remind me of sweaty nights at the Edinburgh Festival. But we now move on to your bottles. What two bottles or cans uh, would you like in your dream pub? Um, I went for two other IPAs. One, which are both pretty similar. One is Sierra Nevada. And one's uh, Lagunitas, which are both kind of pretty nice, quite hoppy IPAs. Yeah, I love Sierra Nevada. Yeah. What's the second one? Uh, Lagunitas. They actually also have that in, on draft in the chip that I mentioned. Now I think about it, but that's quite an unusual one to have on draft. Usually you'd get more of a joker. Lagunitas IPA. I, what I really like about this is you know what you like and you're picking stuff that's very, very similar. Oh, yes. So you're not trying to cater to other people. It's just like what I want to see. No, I'm I'm only considering that I'm the only person that's ever going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I should point out that Laguanitas is 6.2%. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's what they would call they would call that in in Glasgow, wreck the hoose juice. Um, <laughs> 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 commotion lotion. And I think Sierra Nevada is five point six percent. Yeah. I love a Sierra Nevada though. That's great. I, I've never really considered these. The only the only ones that I kind of avoid because they get me too drunk are Duval and these kind of the kind of oh like the Belgian ones. Yeah, they make me too yeah. drunk. They make me feel sick. And I, yeah, and I, and I think when I discovered them when I was young, younger. Sorry, we're all young. When I was younger, I got too excited about it and like probably got myself so wasted. And I've still got the, those kind of latent memories when you're out on the sierra nevadas or even the laguanitas how are you sort of drinking them like so i'm drinking a pint now of cloud water pale ale it's 3.7 percent, and it, i just drink it like water because it's so delicious are you knowing to pace yourself or do you, do you just have a very high tolerance for strong lager no i definitely don't have a high tolerance for strong lager to be honest what i do quite often when i'm out which is a have a large red wine, which is even more dangerous to drink quite quickly in a pub. Because, yeah, like a, a large red wine, is that a third of a bottle? Yeah, easily. Yeah, 250 mil. So by the time, like, your pals turned up, you've drank almost a whole bottle of wine. Yeah. So if, if anyone's listening to this and they've seen me act appallingly in public, this is probably why. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a group ther- therapy element to this uh, podcast. <laughs> so in your pub so far, you have Joker IPA, Peroni, Sierra Nevada, Laguanitas. It's very IPA heavy, but I don't mind it one bit. Oh, that sounds fantastic. It does sound fantastic. I'd have a great time in this pub. <laughs> You're going to have a great time and a headache in this pub. You've got to stay hydrated. Have a wee glass of water every beer or so. Yes, I think more of that. I would love to see more pubs sort of having just, you know, a bottle of water on each table with a couple of those nice little um, glasses. But we need to improve our minds as well as destroying them with IPA. So we head over to Robin for this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thank you, John. Yes, now this week's pub quiz, appropriately enough, is about guitars and guitarists. So, uh, Stuart, you can play along if if you want. You know, there's no prizes for taking part, but uh, let's all have a great time. Do you mean play play the guitar along? Yeah, yeah, that could be great. I do have a guitar here. Nice. Stuart, do you want to provide some moving backing music to the the pub quiz? Stuart's got out a lovely looking Jaguar. Is it a Jaguar? It's a Jazzmaster. Jazzmaster. That's nice. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, that's good for some quiz. <laughs> yeah. It's extremely un-Mogwai music. It's great. I was going to say a complete lie that I only play loungy jazz when I'm on my own, but that's absolute bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just thought that would go with the quiz. Anyway, I'll be quiet. No, no, it's good. Please play on, um, if you want. So, yeah, question <laughs> question one. What name did George Harrison give to his red Les Paul, as heard, on Abbey Road and other records? So he gave it a nickname. What name did George Harrison give to his red Les Paul? Which is a lovely guitar. It's a good question, and I can't wait to hear the answer after the break. In terms of naming guitars, Stuart, have you ever named one of your guitars? No. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. It feels <laughs> yeah, like a very a sort of 50s or 60s thing, isn't it? I mean, maybe, maybe go all kind of Gollum and call it my precious or something. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't have sentimental value to them. But I've got my, I've got my nice one and my crap one. That's what I, I call them. That's basically. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my favorite one's this blue Telecaster that I got for passing some exams when I was fifteen. Oh, is that uh, the one with the salt tire on it? You... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's my, that's kind of my number one. So I, that I kind of, but I just it's just called the blue Tele. Nice. But I did find what I did find one the exact same because I, I kind of realized that if I lost that one, it would kind of be the end of the world. So I found one the same that I can take away. So the 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 main blue Tele will now never leave glasgow wow george harrison's one actually got stolen and he had to kind of end up buying it back or swapping it for another guitar anyway there's a whole wikipedia page about it <laughs> but question two i don't know the name of it i don't know the name of it by the way if, if, if the quiz was for me i'm afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid of, i've fallen at the first hurdle no, don't worry <laughs> don't worry so this is another nickname one so which question two which guitarist has a telecaster that he has named micawber after the character from Charles Dickens is David Copperfield. So we already know it's not Stuart Braithwaite. <laughs> I suppose your most famous Telecaster player is probably Bruce Springsteen. Is it him? No, but it's the same colour. But we'll, we'll we'll do the answers in a minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to know the answer to any of these. So. <laughs> no. This one you might, this one you might. Okay, so this is great. This is one of my favourite guitarists. Which American guitarist has the following astonishing CV? So Frank Zappa, 77 to 78. David Bowie, 78 to 79. Talking Heads, 79 to 82. And King Crimson from 81 to 2013. And he also played on Paul Simon's Graceland. Quite a CV. Well, when you said Frank Zappa, I was going to say Steve Vai. <laughs> Steve Vai playing on Graceland. Yeah, it would be so hilarious. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Adrian Ballou. It is Adrian Ballou. He, he also played on um, <laughs> the Downward Spiral, the Nine Inch Nails album. Okay, bonus question. When Brian May played at the closing ceremony of the 2012 Olympics, who said... If they wanted some cunt to fanny about with a delay pedal, all they had to do was ask. Any ideas about that? <laughs> That's <laughs> just me. It was it was Mr. Stuart Braithwaite there. So, okay. Just to be completely on brand as well, I literally have a delay pedal right here. Oh, nice. What is it? Which one is that? It's the DD200, which is the new oh, cool. newest boss thing. Awesome. I just got the Strymon tape delay one. Oh, that's good it's really nice yeah yeah that's good oh my god Stuart, as a man who i don't know if you can see behind me has a, something of a queen emporium and has a copy of a book dedicated <laughs> to uh, brian may's red special would you like to clarify your thinking uh about referring to brian may as some cunt oh i'm sorry that's it that's it that's a term that's a term of endearment in glasgow 
That is true. As a tree-hugging animal lover, I really, really, really appreciate Brian May's championing of badgers not being killed. That fills my heart with joy. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm down with Brian. So it's actually all these kind of like growing up and feeling all punky and like, oh, these people are the worst. So many of these people I'm actually kind of realizing are actually pretty cool people. Like Elton John seems like a really good guy, you know? And like when you're kind of, I don't know, obsessed with the sex pistols and all that stuff, you kind of, it's actually kind of weird because all these people that you thought were the good guys, like Johnny Rotten and Morrissey and the baddies were like, yeah, like Brian May and Elton John. And you realize it's completely the wrong way around. Do you know what I mean? I am so glad to hear you say that uh, because the one piece of the puzzle for me is was Brian May's delay in any way an inspiration for early Mogwai? <laughs> um, I, I can't say it was, although I did have that It's a Kind of Magic album on tape. And that was like, yeah. So oh, when, yeah. I was, when I was a kid, I remember I really, really loved that. I had like three tapes. I had that, Erasure and maybe the Pet Shop Boys. And I was super into all of them. So yeah. Erasure, a fantastic band. I still I listen to Erasure almost every day. They're such a good band. I once met Andy Bell. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we were doing like a, a sort of charity karaoke where there's a full band. It's called Masioki. And Andy Bell was there to close the show singing an Erasure song. And he was so humble and so sort of shy that I immediately thought, I, I love you. He was just really like this sort of very small in himself, uh, in sort of backstage in the green room and very self-effacing. And I just thought, oh, you're great. He is great. He is great. And, he, and he's also, he's a superstar as well. Like, like people, people have this weird idea that people have to be all kind of like walking about like John Wayne and be the big man. But some people who are really really shy and really yeah like you said self-effacing are you can be like that and still be a big deal you know you don't have to be mr billy big bollocks to kind of like to be a superstar on stage you know and he totally he epitomizes that he's amazing anyway we will now take a very brief sojourn where you will either hear some adverts or some incidental music composed by mr robin allender and if you would like to avoid those adverts you can support us on patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash moon where your money will be put to very good use cleaning the lines and lines and lines that are present here in the moon underwater. I'm going to grab another can because I'm having a superb time uh, and we'll see you back in about 30 seconds. (laughs) Thousands of people listen to the moon underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of the moon underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, Get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com. Welcome back, everyone, to The Moon Underwater. Robin has us on tenterhooks as per with his guitarist's quiz. So, Robin, what are the answers, please? Yes, thank you, John. So... Question one, what name did George Harrison give to his red Les Paul, as heard on Abbey Road and other albums? Any ideas from you guys? I'm going to go Susan. I was just going to guess Sweaty Betty, but... Sweaty Betty. It was, you called it Lucy. <laughs> oh, lovely. All right, okay. After Lucille Ball. Um, 
Sticking with nicknames, which guitarist has a Telecaster that he named Micawber after David Copperfield? No idea. So you, you guessed Bruce Springsteen, which is it's actually the same kind of Telecaster, the, the old 50s yellow one. It's Keith Richards. Oh, yeah, he's a big taily guy. Should have thought about him. Yeah, yeah. And question three was, which American guitarist has the following astonishing CV of Frank Zappa, David Bowie, Talking Heads, King Crimson? And played on Paul Simon's Graceland. Adrian Ballou. Yes, indeed. Adrian Ballou. Well done, Stuart Braithwaite. <laughs> cool. So, and we don't need to do the bonus question again, do we? Or shall we? Do? No, the person who used an affectionate term for Brian May, having been very much influenced by a kind of magic and believing Brian May to be one of the good guys, is Stuart Braithwaite. <laughs> <laughs> See if you're of the badges. (laughs) Yes. We now turn our attention to the spirits available in Stuart Braithwaite's dream pub. Uh, Stuart, what are you going for? Okay, this is a bit of a random one because I really don't go well with spirits. It's not another IPA, is it? Uh, No. I just, I actually, on my little thing, I just wrote no spirits. Well, (laughs) it's controversial. (laughs) It is, but I'll tell you what. Actually, I'll tell you what. I'll maybe. And I'm going to show my ignorance because I'm not even going to name a kind of whiskey, but I'll have some nice whiskey because most of my friends do like whiskey. Well, you don't have to have them. If you have a no, I have a no spirits policy in my house after four or five turbulent years. Right. Um, and it serves me pretty well. If you want to have a no spirits policy in your pub, that's absolutely fine. Or Robin can select a whiskey for your friends to enjoy. So do feel free to make either choice. Yeah. No, I don't want to be that guy that's like, I don't know, like kind of vegetarians who won't let somebody eat a ham sandwich in their house or something. So yeah, I'll kind of, I'll kind of, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for whiskey, but you can choose Robin. Cause yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about whiskey. I just know that the more you pay for it, the more people like it. Highland Park is my favorite whiskey. It's, it's very nice and kind of. It's not one of the really peaty ones. It's quite sort of flowery and, uh, you know, floral, I suppose. Quite sweet tasting. Into Stuart Braithwaite's dream pub goes Robin Allender's choice of Highland Park 12-year-old. I'm going to go 12-year-old. Sure. I don't think there's any point going higher than 16. (laughs) And are we leaving the other spirit option blank? I mean, people like gin too. Maybe some gin. Can I choose the gin? Yeah, you choose the gin. Okay, I'm going to go for... Oh, I'm going to go for Brockman's gin. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I remember Brockman's. So Brockman's gin is not a dry gin. It's what used to, I think, be called Old Tom gin. So it's slightly sweet and it tastes of sort of... But it's not like an infused gin. It's not got, had just sugar added to it. It's like a sort of strawberryish, black currenty gin. So I'm so delighted to be able to choose the gin in your pub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Mm. Moving on from the spirits, because we're not going to dwell on those. Every week, we expand our minds by adding a pub book to the pub library. Robin, what's this week's choice? Thanks, John. So this week in the pub library, it's an excellent book by Olivia Lang called The Trip to Echo Spring, Why Writers Drink. 
superb book. Yeah, which is it's interesting because it's obviously I don't want to you know it's quite sobering I suppose <laughs> for want of a better word because it really is about a generation of writers who really did drink an awful lot. So it's Fitzgerald Hemingway, Tennessee Williams. John Berryman, John Cheever, and Raymond Carver, a slightly different generation there. Yeah, so it's kind of quite harrowing in some ways, but it's also, she's also writing about how alcohol alcoholism affected their work, and it's like, so it's it's really, really well written, and it's half like kind of travelogue as well, about travelling through America and going to all these places where these writers lived. But the chapter about Fitzgerald is really quite eye-opening. So, <laughs> for, for a start, Scott's didn't at the time count beer as alcohol. (laughs) So not drinking might mean avoiding gin, but consuming instead perhaps 20 bottles of beer a day. So, uh, which is, he said, I'm on the wagon, no hard liquor, only beer. When I swell up, I switch to Cokes, which is good. (laughs) F. Scott Fitzgerald, he wrote a brilliant essay about the insomnia that kind of came with drinking too much. And it's called... Sleeping and waking, and it's about he's lying awake and having these kind of mad fantasies about uh, imagining he was like the star quarterback at school, and and then imagining he's like a hero in a war. In the dead of the night, I am only one of the dark millions riding forward in black buses toward the unknown. What does this even mean? Is he still talking about soldiers? Or is it a vision of death itself? As sinister and democratic as those fleets of black buses, it's one of the most nihilistic images he ever set down, though he was always a writer with a real eye for horror. It's quite amazing, isn't it? And can I just end with this little bit from the book? So this is towards the end of the bit about Fitzgerald. The weather, it seems, is also bad in the world of alcoholism, and those heavy overcoats are favoured by almost all its inhabitants. And yet, without falling too far into the honey trap of romanticism, I was also aware of a corresponding desire in all these writers to expose and scrutinise themselves in ways that seemed almost abnormally courageous. Imagine writing that quarterback fantasy down, let alone sending it out for publication. It must have been like undressing in public, though this, it must be admitted, is something else Fitzgerald was prone to do. Once in the 1920s he stripped down to his underclothes in the audience of a play. Another time, according again to Mencken, I think a biographer or friend, He shocked a Baltimore dinner party by arising at the dinner table and taking down his pantaloons, exposing his gospel pipe. But even even undressing is an act of concealment sometimes. You can yank down your pants and show off your gospel pipe and still be a man in mortal terror of revealing who you are. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) I just never heard the euphemism gospel pipe before. It sounds like it could be a Mogwai song. It could be. It could, or an instrument that we could locate somehow. Um, yeah. it, 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 hearing that made me really think, and it's something I've, I've thought about quite a lot recently, is that the world used to be a lot drunker than it is now. Yeah, like was, I definitely. remember someone showing an old poster. I think it was in Ireland, but it was like, you're, you are you can now not drink if you've had more than eight pints. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm kind of like thinking, if I drank eight pints, I wouldn't even know where my car was. <laughs> Never mind be able to drive yeah. it. So it's kind of like, I think, and also when you look at history and you look at some of the insane things people did, it does make a bit more sense that they were probably wrecked. Well, the problem Fitzgerald had was that he was actually a bit of a lightweight. 
so he had to force himself. He had to train himself to drink the amount that he did, whereas sort of Hemingway was sort of a natural absorber of alcohol. But it's, it's you're exactly right. I was chatting to my fiance's dad about sort of drinking in the past because I like talking to people about it. But he was like, you you know, his dad would have a sort of a cocktail at four in the afternoon, and it would be probably you know, four units. And that was the beginning of an evening that would contain wine and maybe a beer and several more cocktails and then port and brandy after dinner. So you're probably clocking up 20 units. And the drinks they used to drink were sort of basically straight spirits. So when Fitzgerald was trying to come off alcohol, he had a nurse that would give him a shot of gin every hour to sort of even out the withdrawal symptoms but, you know, that's still that's still 10 gins. But I would recommend... It's, it's making me rethink my no spirits policy. <laughs> I think it's quite wise in the light of all that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> As a counterpoint or an addition to the trip to Echo Spring um, by Olivia Lang. Or is it the trip to Echo... No, it's not Echo Falls. That's the, <laughs> that's the cheap wine. No, that's um, what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the trip to Echo Falls where you go to Tesco and reach for the bottom yeah. shelf of the rosé. Yeah. Um, I would recommend The Thirsty Muse by Tom Dardis, which is a very honest account of Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Eugene O'Neill and uh, another writer whose name escapes me. But his argument is that they... They wrote in spite of their alcoholism, whereas the sort of myth is they wrote because they were alcoholics. Superb addition to the pub library, Robin. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think there's a bit of a myth generally that intoxication is an inspiration. I'm not sure it really is. I think it maybe is at a very base level, like psychedelic psychedelic drugs or something. But yeah, I, I can't believe someone would write better because they were drunk. No, I think if anything, it's the anxiety and the hangover that creates some of the more interesting... Frenzied prose. Yes, exactly. I don't think it's the actual state of being drunk. But anyway, not only do we have a library in The Moon Underwater, we have a jukebox. And it's always exciting when we have a musician on to pick an album, a CD, it has to be a CD, no vinyl or MP3s here in The Moon Underwater, (laughs) um, to add to it. So, Stuart Braithwaite, what would be your dream pub jukebox album? I think I would go for a compilation, because I think that's good. It's kind of not so samey. If you go in a pub and they're playing, I don't know, some people really disagree with certain people's voices or styles, and they might not want to hear it for an hour or so. Probably a compilation. One of my favourite compilations, and um, it has a slightly misleading title. It's called Sex, but it's not about having sex. It's the songs that were on the jukebox in Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's shop in the 70s. Oh, wow. And it's such a good compilation. It's all kind of old rock and roll. Like New York Dolls. Um, yeah, I think there's a New York Dolls song. And yeah, just weird oddity singles and really kind of what at that point would have been really underground psychedelic music as well, like the creation, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I would go for that. That would that would definitely be in the jukebox. Okay, so I've taken the pretty brave step of Googling sex compilation while signed into <laughs> Gmail. Sex fetish. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's look at uh, what you can find on that. So there's psychotic reaction, count five. There is shake some action, flaming groovies. 
Liar Liar, The Castaways, Brand New Cadillac, Vince Taylor, I'm 18, Alice Cooper, The Trogs, I Can't Control Myself, I Put a Spell on You, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Have Love Will Travel, The Sonics, The Pill, Loretta Lynn's. That's just a, a, a small selection. Alice Cooper, of course, who was uh, discovered by Frank Zappa. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. And also, it's it is Sharon of being 18, which is how old you have to be to go to the pub in the country we live in. Yes. Nice. A great selection for the Moon Underwater pub jukebox. But what is your wild card selection? What is your one extra drink you're allowed? And it would be hilarious if it was another IPA. <laughs> it would be it would be funny, but I'm, I actually, I mean, I'm, I, I kind of mentioned it in passing, but I'm quite a big red wine fan. Mm. So I would probably have a maybe a Barolo or something like that. Ooh. Yeah. Pardon my ignorance, but is Barolo a grape or is that a brand? It is, I believe, a region of Italy. Mm. Oh. oh, I love an Italian red. Yeah, I believe it's a part of Italy, but I could be talking shite. It would not be the first time. <laughs> but yeah. Do you have a specific sort of type or vineyard or brand that you like, or is it just a, a, a good Barolo? It's all pretty nice. It's, it's one of these types of wine that is not the cheapest and it is always pretty nice. So I, I, I'm kind of just saying anyone you get is going to be fairly decent. Well, as I often say, Stuart, life is too short to drink bad wine. If you're going to spend six quid, spend ten. It's four quid. I mean, it's literally the price of a pint and you're going to have a much better time. I'm on, I'm on board with that philosophy. So we've added Barolo Red to Stuart Braithwaite of Mogwise, are you of, of of anything else? Have you got any side project? Have you you must have had lots of offers over the years. And uh, no, loads. I made I made a, a record with another band called Minor Victories. It's me, Rachel from Slow Dive, yeah, Justin from Editors, and his brother James. So we made a record that was a while ago, and we're going to do another one. So yeah, that's that's my that's my other thing. I've done something else as well, but it's not out yet. So yeah, it's ninety nine percent Mogwai. Is what I do. It's great how Mogwai have become kind of, you know, got into the soundtrack thing as well. I mean, they, you seem to do, you know, release a soundtrack as often as a, a new album kind of thing. Is, is, is there another one of those in the pipeline, or are you kind of? Yeah, we've actually got we've got one. We're starting in a couple of weeks, but yeah, probably get eviscerated if I mentioned anything about it. Because uh, right, cool. Every, everything's always a big secret to TV people and film people. Not wanting to be too crass, but are our soundtracks of a different scale in terms of financially from albums, or are they a labour of love or and passion projects? Uh, it's it's a different way of working. You get you get paid to do them, whereas an and we put our own records out, so we don't get paid anything to make a Mogwai album, but it's relying on people buying them soundtracks. Yeah, it's 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 a kind of. We will give you this to make it, but we, it's it's a it's a different um it's a different process. So it, it it's just quite fun to try something new, and you kind of meet some pretty cool people like Mark Cousins. You guys probably know the he's a yes film guy. Like through doing that Atomic film, we got to know Mark, and he's a brilliant guy, really super 
clever, interesting person. He's also amazing that he was sort of such a respected film critic and then started making films and everyone is sort of thinking he's going to be crap at this because he's a critic and turned out to make amazing films. Yeah, it is quite bold. Really bold. Uh, certainly in music, I'm not sure it always works. But um, yeah, Mark's, Mark's a great guy. So you, you kind of get to collaborate with interesting people, try something new. I mean, we did that the, the soundtrack for the Zinedine Zidane film, which loads of people saw just because they're interested in football or art or something. So you kind of get your music into different worlds as well. So yeah, it's it, it's been fun. We're definitely something we enjoy. I'm guessing a big influence on you in your soundtrack work is Flash Gordon and Highlander. You're probably being a wee bit facetious, but they are big ones in our for my youth. They were great. Oh, yeah. I'm so yeah, pleased. Yeah, yeah, no, they were. The Flash Gordon soundtrack. I mean, it's a Queen album, which is mad when you look at their discography. They've got a sci-fi sort of instrumental-ish with a couple of bangers, but it's it's amazing and a kind of magic. The album you had on cassette is essentially the Highlander soundtrack. Yeah, love that. Yeah, film. I was. Su- and yeah, the film's amazing, and I love, I love. I mean, that's eighties casting on drugs as well, isn't it? The Scottish, yeah. Scottish guy being the Spanish guy, the French guy being the Scottish guy. It's just all, it's all over the place. But it's yeah, and I love just saying like, so how do they die? Oh, you chop their heads off. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> it's cool. Okay, they they fight in car parks. Let's do it. I love it. <laughs> Could film it in a car park. There's such a great moment they've written into that film to sort of cover for Christopher Lambert's accent where the woman says, Where are you from? And he goes, All sorts of places. <laughs> <laughs> You're barred. Stuart, we've already barred, in a sense, mic'd acoustic covers, including no covers of Four Non Blondes in your pub, but you are allowed to ban one other thing, activity, vibe, absolutely anything you don't want to see when you walk into your dream pub. What's it going to be? You know what? I don't know if this is maybe getting a little bit too serious, but I've noticed a lot of people on drugs in pubs and it's very annoying. I would have a kind of... Drunk people can be annoying enough. Drunk people on cocaine are really, really, really annoying. So yeah, I'm 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 going all Malaysian government here and haven't taken a hard, hard stance on drugs. <laughs> Stuart, you are talking my language. Since 2004, I have never partaken in Class C drugs. I have never in my life partaken in Class A drugs. What um, did you do in 2004? I had a very, very... I slipped a disc and someone had a doobie and I had a go on it. And here's a lesson to you kids listening. I overextended my uh, L4 vertebrae uh, because the effect of the drugs made me think that I was more flexible than I was because it dulled the pain and I actually made it worse. As a comedian... <laughs> <laughs> I did. I overstretched. That's, that's the weirdest reason to not take drugs. That, that was pretty epic. But pain is useful because pain tells you yeah. when you are damaging yourself. Yeah. Well, then again, Ozzy Osbourne fell off stage, and if he hadn't have been so drunk, he would have like died. That's a myth. The- is it? You're right. So they did studies okay. in Sweden, and to an extent it's true. So if you've had two drinks, you are more yeah. likely to survive a fall, but any more than that, and it makes no makes no difference. Right, okay, um, okay. However... Aussie would have had more than two. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. At the same time I discovered Mogwai, I discovered Frank Zappa, and the one, th- one of the many things I love about Frank Zappa is 
despite the music, which you think is sort of LSD or uh, marijuana inspired, he had a very strict anti-drugs policy in his band and never took them himself. But as a comic, when you're performing and someone is heckling you drunk, that is a quite easy situation to deal with because you just make a fool of them or allow them to make a fool of themselves. When someone is on coke, it is a fucking nightmare because they just don't shut up. And there's nothing you can do because reason no longer works. So I fully support your zero tolerance policy on drugs mm. in your pub, Robin. Well, thoughts. there's an th- interesting thing, isn't there? They, they say really good advice to screenwriters is you should write dialogue as if two people aren't listening to each other. Oh, so that's interesting. Surely the best way to research that is listen to two people who are on cocaine talking to each other because <laughs> they're basically <laughs> waiting for someone to finish to then start whatever they want to say. So, yeah, I can imagine dealing with that in a comedy situation would be pretty bad, but, yeah. In pubs, definitely, it's a no-no. Absolutely a no-no. So, great. I mean, no problem being serious there because we are in wholehearted agreement <laughs> uh, of that. If you want to take drugs, do so in the privacy of your own cell. Um, <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. So, we have before us a pub overflowing with IPA. It has got a a sex compilation, but the sort you are allowed to Google. Uh, There are no acoustic covers of Four Non Blondes. There are no TVs, unless the team Stuart Braithwaite supports are winning. And there is a fire. There are spirits selected by Robin and I to enable Stuart's friends to have a little bit more choice. But what are we calling this pub, Stuart? I don't know. I remembered another thing we need to have in the pub, and that's dogs. I'm a big fan of dogs in pubs. Oh. (laughs) Or do you not like dogs? Are you anti-dog? When I was preparing for this chat, I listened to Young Team, and I had to turn it off because I became too emotional when I listened to Tracy. Uh, I then put on Dire Straits to calm me down. Uh, That worked. And I've been with you every single step of the way. Until at this, at the 13th hour, you have let dogs in your pub. Oh, what's wrong with doggies? Uh, They smell, they're thick, (laughs) they dribble. They need walking twice a day. You have to pick up their excrement twice a day if you're a responsible dog owner. They bark outside my bedroom window at 6.45am. However, if you are thinking of very docile, quiet non-smelling, non-dribbling, non-defecating dogs that just sit next to an old hiker's feet, <laughs> then I will allow that. these dogs are the, As long as the, hiker, the rest of the hiker's body is also there, because having <laughs> dismembered body yeah. parts in the pub will ruin the relaxing and I'm a bit worried about these dogs are not going to be docile if they can't defecate. Well, they're not going to be on cocaine. <laughs> yes, you see. So it sort of cancels each other out. I think these dogs outside your, your window at seven in the morning are, are on you drugs. cocaine dogs. So I'm just going to put brackets dogs. <laughs> brackets dogs under no TVs. But what are we calling this pub? I don't know. What's your pub called? The Moon Under... The Moon Underwater. Moon Underwater. That's quite nice. Uh... It's nice. No. What about 
I mean, I don't want to put ideas in your head. What about the long way from home? Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's I like nice. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. I mean, far be I've already selected your gin, so I don't want to no, se- I'm, select I, I, a name. I, I like but- it. And also, I like the fact there's a Mogwai connection because Barry, our piano player, actually does own a pub. Really? Oh, and, oh Das uh, Gift in Berlin. And he... Yeah. And and he uh, yeah he milks the Mogwai connection for mm. all he can. So I, yeah, to, I want to beat him at his own I've game. I've been to Das Gift and it's got the best jukebox ever. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, he does have a good jukebox. Yeah. I don't want to call it the Come On Die Young because that's going to give people <laughs> a very bleak vibe when they walk in. Yeah, I, I like the long way from home. I think that I think that's good. It's it's a nod of the hat without being super crass. I, I like it. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, it's feel, not I'm feeling that. The, it's not called the 10 Rapid 25th Year Anniversary Deluxe Edition. Well, 10 Rapid means to be punched in the face 10 times. So that is the last thing. Does it? Yes. So that is the last thing you would want to call a pub. Because we'll call it the stab in. <laughs> there's, something, <laughs> there's something I have to tell you. So when me and Robin first listened to, I think it's Young Team, there is a, a segment of backwards speech. And, I mean, bear in mind, this is 1997, 8, 9. There's no internet, really, and none of us have digital editing. We we managed to play it back the right way. Yeah, I think my brother got it to work, didn't he? Yeah, your brother yeah. did. I remember him yeah. Yeah, doing yeah. it. And, yeah. Stuart, it's pretty saucy stuff. <laughs> it is. I will also add that it is not me. Okay. But um, that was like so the first ever Easter egg I opened. Yeah, it's it's very, 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 very silly. When we when we go for a drink IRL in a real pub, I'll tell you all about it. Oh, God. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, well. But not, not for now. Not for not now. For Absolutely now. not. Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai. It has been a personal honour to speak to you. It has also been an honour for the Moon Underwater to have you here creating your perfect pub, the long way from home, with no drugs, with a Barolo Red, with a sex compilation, (laughs) with brackets dogs, with three IPAs, (laughs) uh, two spirits selected by Robin and I, and it means a great deal to have you here. And you are now able to step out into the vast, unending dusk with your pub under your arm to use whenever you need it the most. But I would just like to ask you, before you leave, to play us out, what song from the sex compilation would you like to hear? Probably Shake Some Action by the Flaming Groovies. So, to play Stuart Braithwaite out as he leaves the correct realm and goes into the further realm... It's Shake Some Action by Flaming Groovies. Well, what a treat it was for Robin and I to speak to a hero of us both, Stuart Braithwaite. And we wish him all the best with his pub, The Long Way From Home. Oh, Stuart. Well, as we say goodbye to one guest, we'll be welcoming another in a week's time. And next week, The Moon Underwater plays host to the fantastic Jane Garvey. 
uh, he'll be a familiar voice to many millions of people, many millions of you listening to this this podcast. <laughs> uh, so we can't wait uh, to have Jane come into the Moon Underwater. And until then, do head over to moonunderpod.com to find out all about the live shows, uh, how you can support us through Patreon, and how you can gain access to the extra podcast behind the cellar door, and join the Moon Underwater Social Club on Facebook. But till then, we bid thee fair pint, and hope thy lines be ne'er ending. Bye-bye. salon and the grocery store i'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store groceries through instacart delivered to my door i don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store thousands of people listen to the moon underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences so if you're to be part of the Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com.